Greetings, New Hope Church. It is so great to see everyone. I know they, they just are stepping out, I think, to head down to the nursery for a moment. Can we just give it up to Jesus for Kelly and her story again? My goodness. Wow, what an incredible, incredible uh, word from her. And uh, listen, I want to also put a big exclamation point on Ben and what he just shared with regard to Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. If you don't know, when, when our friends here are talking about the Hope House, uh, it's a house that New Hope Church owns right here at the edge of our parking lot. And uh, we regularly have, you know, three to five men that live there who are coming out of Teen Challenge, and they are preparing to uh, step back into uh, just the mainstream. And we love these men. We're so thankful that we have opportunity to host them and to see God's fingerprints on them. We're thankful for the uh, folks in our church family that come along and mentor them and counsel and guide them, and uh, for the ways that they can integrate uh, here into our church family. So. That's what Hope House is. Uh, so how many of you have ever heard of something called Hope Academy? It's downtown. It's a, it's a charter school for uh, students that are in urban areas. And uh, so I was down there just Wednesday night. Got to walk around, visit with my friend Russ Gregg, who's the founder and director of the school. And uh, his uh, associate, Jamie, who helps us, or I'm sorry, helps them with development issues uh, for fundraising and that kind of thing. And, and Jamie said to me something. I want you to hear this. very important. She said, Pastor Matthew, I need to tell you something. She said, a few years ago, New Hope Church, for its Thanksgiving offering, came alongside of Hope Academy. You remember that, right? And I said, absolutely, I remember that. She says, well, I need you to know two things. Everything you're seeing around this facility right now is because of the seed money that New Hope Church invested in their Thanksgiving offering back in 2015, all right? Now, that is a great encouragement right there. And, and guys, I'm telling you, I'm walking around listening to her share that, and I'm seeing scores of students as they're heading out to their buses. I'm seeing uh, classrooms that are absolutely dynamic and hallways that are bright and warm and safe. And she's like, the seed money from your church is what brought this about. And then she said, I also want you to know that as we partner with churches far and wide around the region, we always start the conversation with, let us tell you about New Hope Church. They are the example of coming alongside a ministry and helping get things done. And, and so thank you, she says. And so I said, I'm going to pass that on to our church family and say thank you to New Hope Church. So thank you guys, right? That is a good word. And you may be wondering, well, why are you telling us that? Because right now, we're in the middle of this year's Thanksgiving offering with uh, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And as you see with Ben and a host of others and women and men that are part of our church family who have gotten uh, so much uh, help and care through uh, Adult and Teen Challenge, let me tell you, your investment with the Thanksgiving offering this year is a story that's going to be told years from now. And it's going to be told in the lives of people in this church and all throughout our region. And so I want to urge you to be as generous as you can here as we continue through this month as a way of saying, God, I believe you can do a great and mighty thing. And I want to be a part of that. I want a front row seat to that. And I want to hear the testimony years from now. I want somebody like Jamie to come up and say, you know what, because of what was invested this time this year, lives have been changed, and here's the testimony of those lives. That'd be a great goal, right, church? That'd be awesome. So, so let's be generous. Let's lean into it, 
and uh, let's see what God's going to do. Amen? Does this sound good? All right. How about Pastor Harry Walls, our brand new worship pastor, all right? We're so excited. So excited. Harry uh, and Eva and their kids. So I, after uh, just a, a couple of wonderful days with uh, talking with our elder leadership team, I, I, I uh, FaceTimed him on Monday night. They were just arriving back in St. Louis. I caught them as they're walking into the door of their house. I said, you guys all there? He goes, yeah. I said, everybody's there? He said, yeah. I said, gather them around. They all gathered around. I said, how would you like to be the new worship pastor of New Hope Church? And he just broke into tears. It was great. And uh, they're so excited, and we're so excited. And uh, be a few weeks, uh, you know, as you can imagine, transition, trying to, trying to make the move and all of that. We'll keep you posted, but can we just praise God again for his kind provision? This is a man that deeply loves this church, and he loves the Christ of this church. And uh, he is eager to join us and uh, lead us to the throne of grace as a fellow worshiper. Uh, with all of us, and I'm really excited about that with you. All righty so we're going to dive right in here. Uh, and you know, there was this certain man, and he was walking through the jungle. And he gets along the trail to this bend, and he turns, and right in front of him, is a lion, big male lion, massive mane of hair, fangs that are sharp and terrorizing. They stare at each other, eyeball to eyeball, man and beast. And very slowly, the man says, Dear Jesus, I hope this is a Christian lion. And he stared at the lion to just see, and lo and behold, the lion also very slowly said, Dear Jesus, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. <laughs> I want to take a few minutes here and talk with you about prayer. You weren't expecting that, were you, Ted? <laughs> By the way, if you're a guest here, we are so glad you're here. My name's Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're joining us online, welcome to New Hope Church. We have a lot of fun. This is a great church family. Jesus makes us new, and he gives us hope. And we're glad that you're a part of that as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer. The Bible is replete with examples of prayer. From start to finish, we see so much uh, imagery of prayer. People praying, people calling out to God, people humbling themselves before God. And we see so much imagery of God answering prayer over and over and over again. He is a way maker as uh, we sang here just a bit ago. He does answer prayer. He does make a way. He does do these things. And he is very, very good, as Kelly was testifying just a little bit ago. The Bible is replete with examples of prayer, and the book of James in the New Testament is no different. And so as we wrap up our several-week 
exploration of the book of James, we actually land at a passage that is saturated with wisdom about prayer. Saturated with wisdom about prayer. As a matter of fact, it really gives attention, I think, to three primary uh, themes regarding prayer. One is what I call the context of prayer. Another is what I call the conditions for prayer. And then we see within the passage what I'm calling the catalyst of prayer. So the context, which is in fact uh, asking why do we need to pray? The conditions for prayer, which is in fact asking how we can pray. And the catalyst for prayer, which is in fact asking with what do we pray? All right, are you tracking with me so far here? Say yes. <laughs> okay, all right, there we go. Okay, so uh, before we look at these three things, however, what I want to do is just offer a simple observation really about the book of James. And it's a fascinating thing uh, for me. Now, I've mentioned before multiple times here that James is this incredibly practical book uh, within the Bible. Uh, it is chock full of wisdom. And uh, indeed, I would say to you, James is fiercely practical. Uh, it, is, uh, it is fiercely practical. It is accessible to us, right? It's something to get a hold of. The stuff that is there, all important, so practical, so everyday, so accessible to us. And prayer is just like that. Prayer is practical. Prayer is accessible. It's something we can get a hold of. When you look in the book of James, interestingly enough, prayer bookends the book. We see it in the first few verses, and we see it in the last few verses. In the first few verses of the book of James, we see James say, ask God. And then he explains in that moment, what is it we can ask God for? And he talks about wisdom and, and such. And at the very end of the book, he circles all the way back from where he began to prayer. And again, it's an implied ask God around a handful of things that we'll, we'll touch on here in a moment. But I appreciate the fact that James starts and finishes with a focus on prayer. And I think that's one more way to just make the case prayer is so important, practical, accessible for you, for me. And uh, it's not something that is uh, foolish. It's not something that is um, uh, otherworldly in the sense that it's this mystical thing that's beyond our grasp. No, it's right there for us to take hold of. All right? So, a word on, on the book of James as it relates to prayer. Now, let's look at the verses of which I speak. James chapter 5, verse 13 and following. And you'll see them on the screens here uh, if you're watching from far away or if you're right here in the room. Let's look together here. James chapter 5, verse 13 and following. I'll just read it. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is the Word of God, and we are so thankful for God's Word. Amen? What a gift it is to have the Word of God for us. This love letter, as uh, you've heard me mention for years now, this love letter from God for us. Well, the first thing we want to do here as we consider the text is talk about what I'm calling the context of prayer, which basically asks the question, why do we pray? Why do we need it? And when we look in the verses that we just read, we see some, some um, ideas that come immediately to the surface. And so we see this issue of suffering. How many of you uh, experience some kind of suffering? We, we see this issue of, of cheerfulness. How many of you are filled with cheer, delighted? We see this issue of sickness. We, we see this matter of, of sinfulness that is embedded within the text. We see this issue of wandering. How many of you either have wandered or know somebody who is? We see this uh, notion of, of restoration. These are things that, that if we just take time and really look through the passage, they, they surface. These aren't uh, uh, some of these words are there, some of these are words that I'm assigning to what I'm seeing, but nonetheless embedded in the text are these ideas, these themes. This is the context. This is what's going on in the world, this, in, in someone's world, maybe your world even today. Maybe in your world right now this is unfolding, maybe there's suffering, maybe there's sickness, maybe there's wandering. And uh, let us not forget where we were last weekend. In the previous chapter, or the previous passage rather, in James chapter 5, we were looking at this issue of financial injustice. And toward the end of that passage, uh, we were wrestling with, well, uh, so are, are any of you grumbling? Well, if we consider that and think of this particular passage, the response is, don't grumble, pray. Uh, are, are any of you, um, are, are, are any of you uh, going back on your word, waffling on keeping your word? Remember, that was one of the last parts of the passage last weekend. Keep your word. If you need help, pray. Any of you feeling hurt because you've been victimized by financial injustice or for that matter, any other kind of injustice? It hurts, yes. What do you do? Do you wallow in the pain? No, you pray. And, and so that's very practical. And then it's immediately on the heels of that, James goes right in and speaking of prayer, are you suffering? Pray. Do you have, do you, are, you, are you filled with cheer? Then, 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 then pray. Are you, are you sick? Then pray. Then are you, are you, are you, uh, you know, do you have sin in your life? Then let's pray. 
Very practical. These are contextual things. These are realities for us here. Very practical. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he puts it this way in um, uh, 2 Thessalonians. You don't need to turn there. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 5. Let me just… <laughs> oh, there's not a chapter 5 in 2 Thessalonians, so that's not it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, verse 16, 17, 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance. A very famous preacher from a bygone era offers this commentary on prayer. Pastor George Buttrick, he writes, prayer is not a substitute for work, thinking, watching, suffering or giving, or any other thing you want to put there. But he does say prayer is a support for all other efforts. In other words, prayer doesn't, prayer doesn't replace your suffering, it doesn't replace your need to work, it doesn't replace your need to think, but it sure supports all of that and more. We need to pray. The context of our lives demands that we be a people who pray. Here's a question for you. You'll see it on the screens here. I want you to pay attention to it. For what do you need prayer today? For what do you need prayer today? Is it pain? Is it pleasure? Is it uncertainty? There may be a host of other things you could put there, questions you could ask. I, I just threw these up because they happen to be on my mind here this week. Think carefully. What is the context of prayer for you right now? What is your big why for prayer at this moment? Why do you need prayer right now? I want you to th you think about it, right? Why do I need, why do I need prayer right now? What is, what is the big why? What's the context for prayer for me right now? Okay, so let's go on. Let's look here now at the conditions for prayer, all right? And uh, what I want you to understand here is this is asking the question, if, if the context of prayer asks the question why, this asks the question how. How do we pray? And when we look in the passage, yes, we see these uh, contextual issues of, well, someone's suffering, perhaps uh, somebody's sick. Uh, there's somebody who's in sin. There's somebody who's wandering in her life. Uh, yes, okay, that's the context, but how do we meet that? In other words, with what posture do we meet these things? With what posture? And so, uh, as I reflect on that, this is what comes to my mind. If you are suffering, then your posture might might be um, desperation. I'm desperate, God, for you. I'm desperate because I'm suffering, I'm hurting. Do you see me, God? Uh, if, if you're uh, cheerful, then maybe your posture is one of joy and gratitude. God, I'm thankful for what you have done in my life. That's in so many ways. Kelly's testimony up here, she said as much as we head into Thanksgiving, let me tell you why I'm thankful. Right? That's her posture, it's gratitude. 
Uh, if, if, you're, if you're sick, maybe your posture is one of distress or fear. What does this diagnosis mean? How long might I have? How much is this going to cost? And so forth. We ask very probing questions when we're sick. And they're real, and they're raw, they're tender. Uh, a posture for us when we are sinful. Contrition, repentance, brokenness. God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, my dear wife, my precious Krista, I asked her this summer, I was sharing this with the staff here the other day. I asked her this summer, I said, how do you, how do you talk to God about sin? She goes, oh, I just tell him, oh, Father, I'm, I'm a messy kid. Would you forgive me and would you inform me how to make better choices? I like that. There's something simple about that. But I, I, that's a posture of humility and of teachability and of repentance. Uh, if you're wandering, maybe your posture is one of longing. I'm off the rails. I'm far away. I'm the prodigal. Lord, I long to go home. Will you help me? Right? And by the way, another posture piece is community, and we see it embedded in the text here. So, so uh, we see um, uh, James, he talks about if you're sick, have the elders come. By the way, you may not know this, but regularly our elder leadership team, and let me tell you, these guys are awesome. They love this church. They look a whole like Jesus, a lot like Jesus. I really love and respect these men. All right, so you know, quite regularly, they come around and they pray for people in our church. They're sick. They anoint them with oil, pray over them. And we have many testimonies of people whose lives have been changed. All right, that's a good thing, right? Praise the Lord for sure. Uh, that community matters, but also notice in the text, you know, confessing sin to one another and this kind of thing. We need each other. So there's a posture of vulnerability that, that is requisite as well. We, we, need, we can't go it alone. We need one another. Uh, this matters. Uh, Jesus, Jesus really challenges us, listen here now, about our posture. Now, I want you to look at these words from um, Luke chapter 18. You'll see them here. Notice these with me. It's a parable, very famous parable. Uh, some of you will know it. Others may never have heard of it, but I want you to really pay attention here. He also, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you treat anybody with contempt, by the way? That's an awkward question that we don't want to wrestle with. So let me ask it this way. Does anybody treat you with contempt? All right, here he goes, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. 
You can almost see him pointing. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What is your posture when you pray? Unless you wonder what I'm asking, that parable reveals it perfectly. Right? Now, here's a question for you. You'll see this here. It's a question I put together for us to wrestle with. With what posture do you pray? How is your heart? Within you, is there surrender to God? Humility, contrition, a repentant and dependent spirit? Or do you pray entitled, contemptuous, and demanding? Now that's, I'm telling you friends, I can't tell you how many times I'm telling God, hey, you owe me this. Like you owe me this. I mean, I don't say that, right? But that's my posture, entitled and contemptuous, demanding. What's your posture? Okay, the next item, the uh, catalyst for prayer. The catalyst for prayer. Now, when we look at the text that I read here a little while ago, well, we see so many things uh, embedded in the text, the suffering, the wandering, the sickness, the sin, the elders praying, and, and, and on and on. Um, but there's one verse that I want to focus on here, and that's verse 17. All right, so, so uh, James chapter 5 Verse 17, and here's what it says, Elijah was a man, I read it a bit ago, let me read it again, with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Now you can reread it, you can look around it, you can go back to the Old Testament, particularly to uh, the Old Testament book of First Kings around chapter 17, 18, kind of in that zone, and you can read all about Elijah. He's a fascinating character. And you can read the specific things that James is referencing here. I'm not so much interested in those particulars. I'm really interested in one phrase that is here. Uh, and it is, it's called, uh, in, in literary circles, it's known as a Hebraism. A Hebraism, and for those that are interested, it's H-E-B-R-A-I-S-M, Hebraism. And in the Hebrew literary world, and remember, James is writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to Hebrew people. They are Christians. They're, they're Jews who've become Christians. So they know Hebraisms. It's part of their culture. It's part of their language, part of their, their way of writing and speaking. A Hebraism is, uh, in this case, it's an example of repeating words for emphasis, repeating words for emphasis, repeating words for emphasis. We see this, for example, in Isaiah chapter 6, where, where we have the seraphim flying around the throne of God, and they're crying out, what? 
holy, holy, holy. And it's repeated to affirm the power and to elevate the value of those words. And here in James chapter 5 verse 17, the word prayer is repeated. Now, you and I don't see it in English because it says that he prayed fervently. But in the original language, it basically says he prayed prayers. And that's a Hebraism that's meaning uh, or intended to energize the idea. He didn't just pray, he prayed prayers. In other words, he really prayed. He prayed fervently, he prayed boldly, he prayed robustly. All right, are you following me? And the question for us is, do we pray prayers? Do we pray prayers? Oh, listen to these words from Jesus, all right, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Absolutely not is the implication. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? And the import here is believe that God can respond and press him. Be bold, pray prayers, ask, knock, seek. And this is Jesus saying these things. This is Jesus calling us to pray fervently, to be bold. Now, Dina Martin, author Dina Martin, uh, she, she realizes that, that this is what, this boldness is what Elijah was about. And so she offers this, this observation. Elijah was bold. He asked with incredible faith, believing God was able. He believed God was faithful that he answers prayers. He asked God with enough faith to believe God would answer even the most audacious prayer. God, the land is dry, it's now time to pour the rain. And God did. She goes on and she adds these thoughts. Without fail, God answered those audacious prayers. He poured out his power repeatedly, giving Elijah opportunity to proclaim God's greatness. And God is great indeed. So, sisters and brothers and friends and guests, trust me when I say I know all about praying thinly. And by that I mean maybe half-hearted in my belief, maybe unconvinced in God's power, maybe more entitled than humbled. I know how to pray thinly. I also understand 
that there are times that it seems as if the heavens are made of brass. Any of you ever feel that way? Feel like your prayers just bounce right off. You can hear it hit. It sounds like tin, and it just comes right back to you. And at that moment, we think, maybe God doesn't hear me. Maybe he's deaf. He hears everyone but me. I understand this. I get this. The writer of Hebrews offers this statement. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, he says in verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 11, very provocative words. He offers these words. He says, Have faith in God. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt, but believes, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe and it will be yours. Now, here's what happens, friends. Here's what happens. I know, well, I don't want to presume on him, so I hold back. I understand for many of us, I don't want to come off selfish, so I hold back. For others of us, I'm really struggling to know, am I praying God's will or mine? And so we hold back. And I appreciate all that, and I understand that. I live that every day myself. But I want to ask you, church, to take the risk. Are you listening to me? I want to ask you to be bold. I want to ask you to rise up and start to pray fervently and boldly and without hesitation, to have the confidence that the writer of Hebrews calls us to have, and to pray audaciously as as Jesus calls us to do, and then let him worry about the details. Do you understand, church? Let us be people to pray boldly in a fresh new way. In fact, here's what I want you to do right now. Look with me here. Revisit what you have wearily set aside. Repent of sin. Celebrate your joy. Intercede for that one on your heart right now. Whatever is pressing on your soul, take it to Jesus. He's our advocate. We say this every single Sunday. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended into the heavens and right now is in session at his Father's right hand, advocating for the saints, interceding, hearing our prayers, and taking those prayers to Papa.
He advocates for us right now, so be bold and don't hold back. And in this moment right now, for the next two minutes, if you're online, it's going to feel awkward because it'll be quiet. For the next two minutes, I'm going to stand here in silence. And I want you to, in your own way right now, in your seat on that floor, if you have to stand, if you have to walk right now, if we could put that back up, sir, if you don't mind, right now, I want you to revisit what you have wearily set aside. And I want you to be bold and don't hold back and begin a new rhythm of just talking to a God who never turns a deaf ear your way. And then I'll get our attention here in a couple minutes. So if you're comfortable and able, would you stand with me? And if you're comfortable and willing, would you just take right now a good, deep breath with me? And just let it out. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Sisters and brothers, go into the world in peace. Take hold of what is good and strengthen the faint-hearted and support the weak and share the gospel with those who are lost and who suffer and love all women and men with the same love that sent Jesus out of heaven for you, with a love that never fails knows no bounds and undergirds the heart of a God who always hears our prayers. 
You are so very loved.